following program is pre-recorded. Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Jeannie Ives sitting in tonight for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary in the first hour by Washington Post columnist Gary Abernathy. Charles Lipson, University of Chicago Professor Emeritus in Political Science. Matt Crouch, Navy Academy, Academy grad. We may need to make an on-air bet about the big game next weekend. He's a 24-year Marine Corps officer, spent time in China, Olmsted Scholar and Senior Military Fellow for the Atlantic Council. He currently works for the Heritage Foundation. And also joining me in studio is Pastor Chris Butler. He's he was the Democrat congressional candidate for Illinois First last cycle, and he runs a Christian school. In the second hour, listeners, we have a very important special guest. Dr. Lee Meng Yan is going to be joining us on this on Zoom. She is the Chinese virologist who wrote a <coughs> series of papers early in the pandemic stating that the virus came from a lab. She fled the United States shortly afterwards. Fearing for her safety, she comes to us. She will be coming to us in the second hour from an undisclosed location. We are anxious to talk to her about the protests in China and also um, the fact that now everybody pretty much agrees that, indeed, the virus did it was generated in a lab. So our program tonight is coming to you from our home base, AM560, The Answer, WIND Radio in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open, 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. And, you know, to help us along with that little Army-Navy bet between Matt and myself, we're open to uh, listeners weighing in on what we should maybe wager. You know, typically, you wager a bathrobe. I got to tell you, Matt, um, when I went to West Point, they were made out of wool. Now, my son's at West Point. They're made out of velour, so it'd be a much better deal. But I want listeners to weigh in on what this bet should be. It's always a lot of fun to do that. Well, gentlemen, let's get started, though. We have a lot to discuss tonight, and let's start with the Twitter files. So an FBI agent testified to Republican attorneys general this week that the FBI held weekly meetings with big tech companies in Silicon Valley ahead of the 2020 presidential election to discuss disinformation on social media and ask about efforts to censor that information. I'm reading this from a Fox News article on Tuesday. Lawyers from the offices of Attorney General Eric Schmidt of Missouri and Jeff Landry of Louisiana disposed FBI supervisory special agent Elvis Chan as part of their lawsuit against the Biden administration. That suit accuses high-ranking government officials of working with giant social media companies under the guise of combating misinformation to achieve a greater censorship. Well, we know now, we now, we now know since Elon Musk started to release the Twitter internal messages and emails about this type of censorship, we now know that indeed Twitter officials or Twitter, Twitter staffers handled certain posts that were troublesome to the Democrat Party. Um, you know, they talked a lot about democracy being on the ballot. That was their big mantra in the 2022 election. Well, it seems like democracy was definitely on the ballot in both 2020 and 2022. What does this mean? What does it now mean that we are finding out that indeed big tech did major censorship over a very alarming article 
uh, by the New York Post about the Hunter Biden story. You know, we're going to start with Gary. Gary, you are in the media. You work with the Washington Post. How does this look and what's going to happen here? Well, thanks, Jean. Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, appreciate that. Good to be on with you. Um, for a lot of us, you know, this is like the least surprising news of the week or of the month or of the year. Um, it's just been so obvious that there has been a liberal bias in, in the, our biggest social media platforms, particularly Twitter and Facebook. And now that's being um, admitted, basically. It's being exposed. I'm glad Elon Musk is exposing it. We know that Mark Zuckerberg basically you know, acknowledged that the FBI came and asked them to suppress the Hunter Biden story without maybe naming the Hunter Biden story um, um, directly. But we know that's what they were talking about. So now that's all, you know, uh, coming out and, and being proven, just like the, you know, CBS coming out and saying, well, now we've looked at the Hunter Biden laptop ourselves and the, the data from it, and yes, it's all good, and, and but, you know, two years too late. And, you know, they're, they're well aware of this. And so um, the hope is, you know, here's the thing, Gene, here's the other scary part of this. When you have the Biden administration saying, we're keeping an eye on Twitter, now, people often say, you know, Twitter and Facebook, they can make their own rules. That's not a violation of the First Amendment because they're not a government entity. But when you have a government entity basically pressuring the private companies to behave a certain way, to edit, to censor a certain way, to me, I think that is a violation of the First Amendment. So that's kind of a broad overview, Gene, of how I look at this whole situation. So, so Charles, and, and maybe Gary, this will go back to you as well, but so can we have some sort of political agreement between both parties, all sides, that this was improper and, in fact, uh, was actual collusion and interference in an election? We don't have agreement from okay. the Democrats. In fact, <clears throat> if you look at uh, mainstream media uh, with its, uh, you know, conventional kind of left-wing bias, uh, they have absolutely ignored the whole story. I mean, they, they just buried it. Uh, all the news that, that's fit to print is a joke. Um, but um, I want to agree. Go ahead. No, go, no, that was something else, other interference. <laughs> okay. I want to agree with what Gary said um, uh, about a distinction between private entities and the government. Uh, uh, there's uh, MSNBC doesn't have to put Donald Trump on the air. And Donald Trump's truth social doesn't have to uh, give any airtime uh, to Rachel Maddow. Uh, all that changes when the U.S. government gets involved. Its job, uh, with some uh, carve-outs, and I can mention those in a second, but its job is to protect free speech, not to suppress it, not to threaten those who come up with ideas that look different from what the CDC says. And what we have here, and when the government does that, not only is it misbehaving, it's turning the private media companies, the social media companies, into agents of the state. And what uh, Missouri is doing is a great service to us all. The reason we know this stuff by uh, from Elvis Chan, who left the building, by the way, 
Elvis <laughs> Chan uh, told us this because he was under oath being deposed yep. uh, uh, um, uh, in a Missouri lawsuit against these social media giants. Now, it's going to be up to uh, Twitter, I mean, excuse me, up to Facebook and up to Google and others to come clean. Okay, so before we get going here, we're, we're headed to the first break, honestly. So we're going to hear from Matt and Chris when we get back to this about uh, what this portends. I'd also like to go in a little bit about who exactly Elvis Chan is. So stick with us on Beyond the Beltway. Again, uh, happy to take your, um, your suggestions, callers, for uh, what should be the bet between Matt and I on the Army-Navy game. He's a Naval Academy graduate, and I graduated from West Point. Back with you shortly. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. 
For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to the program. Our phone lines are open coast-to-coast at 1-800-723-8289. I am Jeannie Ives sitting in for Bruce Dumont. Uh, Matt Crouch, Matt, you uh, served while in in the military. You were a Marine Corps officer. You spent time in China. Um, What is your take on this from the position of somebody like an Elvis Chan, who is the FBI agent that was deposed to testify about the cybersecurity threat uh, that was happening. Uh, He worked in the San Francisco office. He's first-generation Chinese. Ron Johnson inferred on the Sunday show this morning that he is, Elvis Chan is an example of somebody being inside the gates of the United States who may have, you know, may be pretty friendly with the Chinese. Well, I, I certainly think, uh, Jeannie, that there are challenges all across the United States in terms of the degree to which openness allows for Chinese influence to enter into a variety of things. Of course, I can't speak to this specific example, but I think there's ample evidence of the way that the Chinese have used a variety of economic means to influence our universities, to go after and get engaged on domestic politics political issues, whether it's uh, the purchase of land at strategic locations near bases or the widespread purchase of agricultural land as the Chinese look at their own food security problems, it's clear that uh, freedom in our society and the openness uh, can be a double-edged sword. And the the government, both at the, the state level and the federal level, has to take a look at how they approach pushing back on that. And uh, some of the things that we need to think, begin thinking about are, uh, why are we allowing so many Chinese students to attend U.S. universities almost exclusively in STEM and frequently linked to the development of technologies at our research universities that play exactly in line with uh, the coming technological revolution uh, on national security issues, right? So. Uh, think about batteries, satellite technology, uh, laser mm-hmm. technology, communications. These are the areas where hundreds of thousands of uh, foreign students over. Okay, uh, Matt, we kind of paused you there. All right. Uh, Matt, we lost your audio, but Chris, we w- wanted to talk to you here about it because, I mean, this is an important issue. Uh, you ran for Congress in the 1st Congressional District. It's a majority-minority district. I think it was vacated by Bobby Rush, if I'm not wrong, mistaken, right? Uh, do the voters care? Is this something that the voters even care about? I think it's a big concern. I think it goes straight to the First Amendment and national security. But would you say that this is even a topic that voters care about? I think voters in the 1st Congressional District care about uh, elections and and making sure those elections are uh, honest and secure. Uh, And I I think that if folks got an opportunity to talk about this, which unfortunately with that much collusion in media, you don't get enough conversation around it to actually get the conversation going. And we we said in the last block that, you know, um, like Google and Facebook, it's, it's up to them to come clean. I think that, you know, we have laws that say that size matters when it comes to corporations. It's actually 
it is the role of government to start to get involved when companies are that big and, co and control that much of their uh, area and the market. We can't just wait uh, for Facebook and, and Google to come clean. We have to start looking at these companies in a different way because we have laws on the books. And we got to start to see, is this, uh, you know, is certainly some kind of monopoly? Is it a public utility? Uh, is it something else? But I think people have a right to know. And when people know, I think people will talk about it, think about it, care about it, because it impacts the elections that are supposed to uh, open doors uh, for things to change uh, in the communities w where I serve, certainly. So, Gary, we're right back to you. I mean, is, yeah. is, the, is the media at fault here to some degree by not covering this story? I, I mean, other than, you know, some of the conservative outlets, I don't know that any of the, the more uh, liberal outlets were really covering even the, you know, Twitter files coming to light. So, uh, yeah. what, and, and, oh, and also speak to the issue of do they now have monopoly control over our, yeah. our public square? I think that they are, for all practical purposes, a monopoly that, that deserve to be looked at that way. Um, and, Gene, here's what it's really bothersome to me. When I hear journalists, journalists argue in favor of censorship on social media. Now, you know, I know cases can be made for certain kinds of censorship. We don't want to harm anyone with speech on social media. We don't want to cause any physical danger to anyone. Um, and And... Other examples like that, <clears throat> I hate it when it's journalists making those arguments. You know, we're, we're people who depend on, on the free and open expression of ideas, of reporting, of, uh, of what we, you know, what we want to uh, express. And I think our whole country, Gene, sometimes I feel like we've spent so much time over the last two or three years teaching people in a way here's why you've got to be on guard against misinformation. Here's why we can't have this certain kind of speech. Here's why you can't disagree about COVID. Uh, here's all the reasons we hear about why you should suppress speech and very, very little about why we need to expand speech. You know, we need a refresher course in this country to people and to a lot of people in the media, frankly, about the importance of free speech. Sometimes free speech can be messy. Sometimes, uh, you know, there's a reason that, that they're just saying that the, the pen is mightier than the sword. Sometimes mm -hmm. it can be. But that's, that's a, a balance that we try to live with. And, you know, the best way to counter lies online is with truth online, not by canceling people and shutting people down. So I try to advocate all the time, you know, for, for journalists not to be on the side of arguing for censorship. There's plenty of other people to do that. Mm -hmm. Journalists should always be arguing for the side of free and open expression. Sure, so, so let me let yeah. me say what yeah. I Go ahead, think that mm -hmm. they're arguing uh, for speech suppression shows, Gary. I think what it shows is that they're more activist partisans and see their role as being shapers of public opinion as partisans rather than as neutral journalists. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're an opinion columnist, as you are, you're supposed to write your opinion, sure. and uh, that, that's fine. But what I see when I read the New York Times or Washington Post, uh, um, all of the uh, online websites, is I just see once reputable uh, reporting has degenerated into a kind of 
talking points echo chamber. Yeah. And it's sad to see the it's sad to see the journalists have bought into that. Yes, but we, we we've gotten a, we've gotten a little bit. It's it's further now, right? Because now we have uh, the the government interfering in speech, the government telling big tech what they what, what they should or shouldn't censor, the government fifty fifty so called previous intelligence officers signing up to say that the Hunter Biden story is pure fiction by the Russians, um, and, and and so it goes a lot further. Look, Ron Johnson. Uh, he's, he it was flat out, I mean, corruption is in the security agencies. You've got Jim Comer, another uh, uh, U.S. Uh, congressman. He, they're looking at big investigations about what happened. I mean, this, so, so where does this end? I, I, where would this lead? Uh, are we going to get, get to the bottom of that? <coughs> Matt, I mean, you've been around some of this. Uh, how, do you, how do you sum it up? I mean, what's, what do you expect? What do you expect Congress to do in light of what has been revealed in just really over the weekend? Well, see, I think what I hope for is that as they look at this growing symbiosis between big tech and government uh, that's giving companies an undue influence over uh, our daily lives as Americans, undermining our rights, uh, that they're increasingly exercising this pervasive control on information and limiting access to the digital space uh, as they pick and choose who should get to join in on the modern uh, public square, the functioning of the republic starts to come under threat. And I think what we all hope the leaders in Congress will do is take some aggressive reforms and, and move to ensure that big tech is held accountable, uh, that the public square stays open for all, and that the American conversation on all topics, but especially on political topics, uh, is a free and open one so that the people are able to make the choice when it comes uh, each election cycle, as opposed to having that information filtered. And I think uh, we're well aware of uh, Media Research Center's survey on this specific topic that demonstrated that people's, people's feelings would have changed going into the election in 2020 had they had this information readily available. And I think we can all agree, at least I hope we can, that that's totally unacceptable uh, in the tradition of the American democracy uh, and the American republic. Okay, so we're going to take a really quick call from uh, Jorg in Brooklyn. Uh, This is where we're getting ready to go to our breaks. But, Jorg, I want your – you've got an idea for a bet between Matt and I on the Army-Navy game. So we'll take your – We'll take your suggestion ahead of our break. Matt, uh, you're, you're right, on with then. us. All right, then, Gene, I want to suggest that um, West Point ought to offer Annapolis a chocolate drum cake and Annapolis ought to offer West Point a Subway sandwich. Oh, okay. A German right, chocolate then. cake and a sub submarine, like a submarine. Is that where you're getting to? Yeah. 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 Right. Submarine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Got then. it. All right then. All right. Okay, Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate you're- that suggestion. Okay, we are headed to another break. Again, get your calls ready. Matt and I are going to be betting on the Army Navy game. One eight hundred seven two three eight two eight nine. When we get back from the break, we want to go further into the discussion of the military particularly military readiness, military wokeness. What about these vaccine mandates coming off on the military? Isn't it about time, Joe Biden? Thank you for joining us.
Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. We're going to take just a couple minutes here and let each one of our guests individually introduce themselves. Matt, let's start with you. Oh, thanks so much, Jeannie. As uh, Jeannie mentioned, I'm uh, currently uh, employed at the Heritage Foundation through Heritage Action for America, but I come by my expertise by way of uh, time in the Marine Corps, retired as a lieutenant colonel, been a military fellow at the Atlantic Council in the past, and uh, of course, as she's mentioned numerous times, Naval Academy graduate, and uh, looking forward to a victory next Saturday as uh, Navy continues its winning streak from last year. <laughs> okay, Pastor Bro uh, Pastor Butler. 
Yes, I am uh, Pastor Chris Butler. I am the senior pastor at Chicago Embassy Church Network uh, here in Chicagoland. Uh, I am also a an a old community organizer at, at this point. I've been doing that for uh, 20 years uh, in the west side and south side of Chicago. And as you mentioned, I ran for Congress in the Democratic primary uh, in this past election cycle. And my wife and I uh, just restarted our Christian school uh, there in South Holland. Terrific. Gary, coming to us from Washington, D.C. area? Actually, I'm from Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. Um, okay. Coming to you from Cincinnati tonight. Um, I've been a, a newspaper editor, reporter, columnist for all the better part of 20 years. Also worked in politics for about uh, 15 years. Uh, worked uh, in Republican politics for uh, um, different uh, organizations, including and then uh, Senator Bornovich, Senator Portman. Came back into journalism, um, and then uh, for about the last five to six years now, been writing uh, two or three times a month for the Washington Post, um, representing the point of view from uh, uh, Middle America, Trump country. Uh, however you want to put it is kind of the role I play in that in that regard. Wow. And Charles. Gary, I can't hear anything about Cincinnati at this time of year without thinking about the turkey drop. <laughs> I know. KRP, the classic. WKRP's you know, classic turkey maybe drop. Maybe the funniest moment in TV history, Charles. Certainly one of them. Yes. Certainly one of them. Yes. I'm, uh, I was born and raised in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, south of Memphis, about 90 miles south of Memphis in a small community. Uh, I went uh, to college uh, on the East Coast and got a Ph.D. there. But for many years, I've taught at the University of Chicago, most in political science, mostly in international politics. But um, I'm now emeritus, which uh, is a, a fancy word for retired. And I'm, uh, I'm a columnist who writes very frequently for real clear politics and spectator uh world uh and i have a piece coming out uh in spectator uh tomorrow on uh the twitter controversy uh charles would you like to pick up from there and just give us a uh, preview of what your piece is talking about yeah it seems to me, uh, going back to what Gary initially said, there's no surprise that there was systematic bias in these organizations. In fact, if you looked at who donated uh, traveling through their state, either uh, through a railroad or through uh, uh, a tanker truck. That's a, great, that's a great question, and I've been doing a lot of research on this. It doesn't look as though there's a lot that's required except a perfunctory sort of uh, we're coming through. If you've got any objections, let us know. Uh, we should. I should point out that uh, the railroads uh, carry a tremendous amount of chemicals every day across the country. Uh, you know, Chicago, the railroad capital of the country. Go out to any one of the yards, and you'll see dozens and dozens and dozens of uh, tankers uh, out there in those rail yards. Uh, and then you get, you know, a certain chemical that may be okay by itself, but if it's mixed with something then there's a problem and then you add the element of fire to it uh, you know you get a fire that starts now you've got chemical a and chemical b and uh, fire and heat and all of a sudden you've got a real bad situation on your hands so it could be something as simple as the railroads routinely sending an email to someone in columbus at the uh, state's department of natural resources letting them know that uh, you know we're going to be running a, tra a train from Pittsburgh to Gary or to Chicago, 
and it's expected to come through the state and it's going to be going through the state of Ohio for three or four hours, five hours, whatever the time is. And uh, that's what it is. It was reported. It's not something that would get. It's not it, something that would get to Dewine's desk. It was reported earlier this week that there's frankly there's a lot of train train derailments. We just don't hear about them. Yeah. So my oh, yeah. question to you is, if we were to look at the the train derailments of the last let's say ten years, would there be some common denominators whether or not is it is the mechanical switching uh, on site? Or it is something related to uh, 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 you know something on the train that has not been properly maintained, mm-hmm. and and again in in the cases that happen somewhat frequently, do we assume that none of them have any toxicity issues at all, or were they so small they didn't even make it to the newspapers? Well, that's part of it, and there's about three derailments a day nationwide. It's wow. you know it's a, about three of them a day. And most of them don't get to the level of national news because they don't create a fireball like this one has done. Mm-hmm. Now, the unions, uh, and this was a contentious point, Bruce, back in these contract talks, mm-hmm. the unions will tell you that this is one of these things that had someone from the company listen to what the unions were saying two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. This never would have happened because mm-hmm. the unions have been saying for quite some time, that management is putting a lot of pressure on them to cut their pre-trip inspections. And here's another fact. Railroad trains are getting longer. This train was almost 1.8 miles long. It was 9,300 feet long. It's a big, long, slow-moving train going along the tracks. And we have seen over the last couple of years, the railroads have dramatically increased the length of their trains to be more efficient, Mm -hmm. longer trains, fewer employees on the trains, and the, that's that's the way they're moving. That's the way they've been moving the last several years, all Pat- of them, not just Norfolk Southern, but all of them. Patrick Hanley is in studio with me. He's got a question for you. Oh, Dan, I was, I was just going to agree with you first and say that Norfolk Southern, I, I believe, had the longest average trains with 100 cars at 7,000 feet. So this is a company that spent millions and millions of dollars lobbying Congress to deregulate its own industry. Yeah. Meanwhile, buying back billions of dollars of its own stock to boost the value of the company while cutting thousands of employees. So this is a pretty classic incidence of corporate greed uh, gone bad. And I would just ask you, uh, are there are there steps that Congress can take to re-up the regulation that we used to have on train companies to prevent this sort of thing from happening again? Well, most of it's done by, you know, the sub-agencies, Federal Railroad. They're the ones that do the real work on that and do the, you know, the nuts and bolts writing the regulations. Uh, I listen on their conference calls, on their quarterly conference calls, and, uh, you know, the railroads have been talking about how they become more efficient and they're doing more with less. And that's been the mantra over the last several years. Now, they all run pretty good operations, but when something like this happens and, thousands of people are being impacted. Uh, the question as a reporter or as like a political okay. activist, I, I think you I have to raise the question no of, problem. did you cut too far? Did mm-hmm. you did you get into the bone marrow instead oh, of the fat? And that's okay, the question well, I think that a lot of reporters and, yeah, and folks are asking. Judy's got a question. Yes, Judith. Yeah, um, thanks for being on with us. I, the question I have is, what effect, if any, did the recent negotiations with the union that prevented a strike have on all of this? I mean... How did this come up, and and um, you know, do you think that this has any effect? And and the other question, of course, 
is, you know, we keep talking about trying to uh, allocate money to infrastructure, meaning things like bridges, railroad tracks, stuff like that, as opposed to certain other things. What effect does that have on this? Because, I mean, how old is the track that this, you know, newly, what is it, a hundred, a mile and a half long yeah. train is is uh, is uh, moving along on? I mean, this, this can be a problem. Yes? Well, Judy, the, the, the track itself, uh, the railroad owns the track. They own the track, and they're responsible for the maintenance of it and the upkeep of it. There's some stuff, there's some public money in it you know, bridges and the like that, uh, railroad bridges that, that are public use that have to be repaired and public money will go into that. Uh, with regards to the union situation, uh, the railroad industry, like a lot of transportation industries, is an aging industry with regards to its workforce. Uh, railroad employees are typically really well paid and uh, they're pretty well taken care of in terms of pensions, but a lot of them because of COVID and you know, their work rules, their very difficult work rules in terms of the amount of time that they work, a lot of them retired. Mm -hmm. And the railroads are trying to backfill with the employees and trying to get more people. But it is a tough sell. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're a 19, 20, 23 year old, 28 year old person, yeah, a six figure salary is a, is a great opportunity to get there. But it's a lot of long hours. It's 24 seven work. It's on call. And it's a tough sell. So the railroads are trying to backfill and bring in new employees. But you don't become an experienced railroader that either, either is running trains or inspecting tracks. You don't become a, a great railroader overnight. It takes years of experience. And the railroads are finding that out, that it's, it's difficult to get people into these mm -hmm. jobs, like it is for a lot of transportation jobs and jobs that Bruce, my dad, or any one of our fathers would have jumped at now. You know, it's a different world we're living in. Speaking of a different world we're living in, uh, a lot of people are still trying to figure out uh, what happened uh, recently with the, the power grid that went down in the in the southeast. And uh, I'm wondering, uh, it brings up the question, um, and there doesn't appear to be any sabotage here, but it seems to me that the protection of our railroads as they travel through the country the country is now alert to the toxicity of many of those trains, that that's something we have to look at very seriously. We'll talk about it when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. You're now live again. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, okay, a top so 10 public university, again, took so its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Well, I want to get in. I want to get into. Uh... This is the story of a very special woman. 
In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. Hey. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. But and I nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumoulin. In case you were just joining us, we've had some technical difficulties with some of our affiliates from coast to coast and border to border. But I understand you are now with us, and I am back in the saddle after 15 weeks of uh, uh, hiatus because of some health issues. But it's nice to be back. And uh, Dan Ronan is, is talking with us. He is uh, uh, with the tr- Transportation Transport and also hosts the show on the weekends on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. And, uh, Dan, I asked the question whether or not uh, the issue of sabotage, I don't want to create a conspiracy here, but, again, when, when, when the citizens of the country uh, see the government fail, as they did in how they handled the flying objects over the country, and then they see all of what appears to be a mess. You've described it. Everyone has described it as a mess in uh, East uh, Palestine, Ohio. Uh, I, I'm wondering to what extent should we be worried about um, those that want to do harm to the United States that would see maybe how easy it would be to disrupt a region of the country kill people or create a level of fear or distrust of the government that is very detrimental to our society? It's a big question, but I want to let you tackle it first. Well, first off, before I do that, uh, it's good to see that you're back, and I'm very happy that you're back doing this, Bruce. You know, you and I have known each other uh, an awfully long time, and I'm glad you're healthy and uh, you're on the mend. Dan, I I knew you I knew you when you had no Emmy awards to put on your mantle and I'm looking at it at least I think <laughs> I'm really you looking at five but four clearly. You knew me when I was 13 years old. Well, I was we, 13 we, years old hanging around. 
we <laughs> we once worked at the same station, and you were a you were a young gopher at the time. Well, thank. But you've you. come thank a long you. way. Anyway, that, thank you. But back to your question. Uh, it just becomes a question of imagination. Did we ever think on September 11th that four airplanes were going to fly almost simultaneously, two into the World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon, and Condor one into Pennsylvania? Rice couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, we, we never imagined that. And so here we are faced again with a, uh, you know, people I'm sure are taking notes, bad people with bad intentions are taking notes and saying, you know, they move a lot of bad stuff and a lot of fiery stuff in these trains. And if we can figure out a way to do this, uh, maybe we can cause a little mischief. Maybe we can cause yeah. a lot of mischief. Yeah. So I think we have to be concerned that uh, that this is something that is like what's going on, as you were pointing out, with the, the power grid situation. Who would have thought, you know, people taking uh, pot shots at transformers right. at uh, power substations you know, that are in almost any parts of a city around the country. So it just takes a little bit of imagination. It takes some, uh, I hate to say it, uh, not guts. That's not the word I'm looking for. But it takes some uh, something to do. Uh, you, you have to be a pretty sinister person to do it. But you have to be willing to take the risk that you're going to get caught Judith, or you're going to die doing. Judith, in, in, in your view, mm -hmm. Is this something that should be pursued, or if you take one step down this road, are you con concerned uh, that you're going to be labeled a conspiratorialist? Uh, I mean, uh, how far? Because I, you're I about agree. I mean, about the power grid. I, I am talking about people who want to, who hate the United States, who want to disrupt things, mm -hmm. and they see a natural disaster, or, an, or not a natural disaster, but a disaster like we're looking at in East Palestine, Ohio. And, and, they, and they and their buddies are saying, aha, look at this. We screwed up an entire region of the country. Right. And it's still not over. And it's still not and over. And these people are scared to hell because they think there's environmental things in their water. And, they, and they're, every one of them uh, is complaining of a headache. Yeah. Look, let's, let's face it. We have not had a good couple of weeks in terms of government response to what is perhaps maybe existential problems right we had we had that balloon situation the chinese balloon the chinese situation. balloon situation followed up by this and and a seemingly anemic we'll put it that way government response that apparently took a couple of weeks to get going and so yeah if you're a bad actor and there are plenty of them in the world and there's some in the country too yes. right so they look at this and they say, aha, well, here's something that we can exploit. So it is probably very foolhardy for the United States not to start to pay attention to things like this. I don't mm -hmm. know if you do it under the rubric of infrastructure, but you do need to pay attention. To Patrick Hanley. Judy, I just got to disagree with how you framed it, and I'd love to hear Dan's response on this. But the, the challenges that folks had over the holidays with airplanes in the southwest the challenge that north north uh excuse me north northern north, suffered northern Norfolk Norfolk southern, southern. Mm. <laughs> the careful Norfolk you southern, gotta be careful that's exactly no yeah there's a lot of northerns out there too norfolk southern had with its train and its railroad these are private companies who have underinvested in their own assets 
that have caused these catastrophic yeah, but, but, problems. But, but, this, no, isn't, this, isn't government, not, this isn't government response. Entirely, and no, we do no, no, know no, no. the EPA was on the ground within hours of the explosion. So, not Dan, really. I'd love to hear your response to whether or not this I don't is think we a know challenge that. with immediate government oversight. One second, one at a time. I want to hear what Dan has to say. I don't think we know that. Okay, Dan, back to you. Okay. You know, the NTSB was on the scene in Ohio in a couple of hours of after course. this happened. They always are. Uh, they, they always are. It's, it's a top-rate agency. They do things exceptionally well. Uh, with regards to some of the other stuff that's happened, we have as a society, we have as a country, until the last 18 months with this new infrastructure bill, mm-hmm. we have historically underinvested in our highways, our bridges, our roads, our electrical systems. We, you know, we, we built this wonderful system in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then we have not put the money into it. And now, lo and behold, it's starting to fall apart, and we're paying the price because we're having to spend more money. And if we, if we just fixed the roof when the roof had a small leak 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have buckets in the carpeting to catch all the water that's coming into our living room. That's, that's kind of what's happened. We've just underinvested in infrastructure for the last 25 years, and now now we've got to pay to get it fixed. Well, and I, I agree with that, and I think that that's something that should be on the agenda of both of the political parties. It should, and, and it was. Shouldn't, and it, it, we it, passed it, pretty historic. Yeah. 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 You know, but there the, was a bipartisan understanding that they had to get together, which they did in the transportation uh, infrastructure bill, in doing this, but you know, they, they haven't... They haven't hit everything exactly right. And I'm just saying is there's nefarious people out there. Look out for them as well. Uh, Dan Rohn, thank you very much for joining us from Washington, D.C. this evening. We will continue with Judith Sherwin and Patrick Hanley. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top-ten public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and... 
Insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening from coast to coast. Phone lines open at 1-800-723-8039. Joining us in studio uh, this week, Judith Sherwin is here. She is a card-carrying conservative Republican attorney, once upon a time a left-wing Democrat, uh, anti-war, but uh, she is, saw the light and she's come over to the other side. Uh, Patrick Hanley is also with us. He is the head of the New Trier Democratic Party. New Trier is a fashionable suburb uh, uh, north of Chicago, and he's also a businessman. So you're a businessman and a Democrat. So, That's right. And he's been with us on this program for, for quite some time. And uh, joining us now from Washington, D.C., is uh, Jeremy Beck. Uh, Jeremy, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Jeremy is the vice president of Numbers USA. And for the next half hour, we're going to be talking about not only illegal immigration, but we're going to be talking about uh, legal Im- immigration. And, uh, you know, we've spent so much time on this program talking about illegal, illegal immigration and what's happening uh, at the southern border. Uh, and usually when someone is talking about illegal immigration, the next sentence out of their mouth is, but I support legal uh, immigration. And uh, your group, uh, you're, you're not wild about either. You're vehemently opposed to illegal immigration, but you're not a big fan of uh, regular immigration as well. Is that a fair assessment of uh, your position, uh, Jeremy? It's it's close. I think I can't remember which philosopher said never be before or against anything. Um, we are we are we do favor lower immigration numbers overall. That's our name, Numbers USA, and it really is about the numbers for us. Gallup does a series of uh, surveys every year for people around the world who are interested in permanently relocating to other countries. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just came out with their their latest version of that. And 160 million adults, adults only, worldwide would move to the United States today if they had the opportunity. And hundreds of millions more would would likewise do so even though the uh, United States isn't the top country on their destination list. So to put that into perspective, New York City declared a state of emergency after receiving fewer than 30,000 
migrants who were bused there from Texas and Arizona and Colorado and, and, and other states. So when it comes to legal immigration, immigration policy in general, the main question for us is, is how many? So we're not against immigration at all. In fact, the, the reforms that we would propose if we, if we accomplished all of those reforms, uh, we would set immigration numbers back to, to about the levels that we had in the 1980s. We would still be the most generous country in the world when it comes to immigration, but, but we feel like it would be a more fair policy to vulnerable workers. Uh, and also put us on a more sustainable path Speci moving forward. Uh, Jeremy, specifically, who sets those numbers? That should be Congress. That should be the United States Congress. Is it um, not? The, well, it's um, the, the president, uh, the executive branch has a lot of leeway in terms of selecting people to not let in, to not admit. Um, that's, if you think of a case where, I don't know, if, you know, in, in case of war or something like that, or if there's a, uh, uh, if there's a national security concern, you know, the executive branch has quite a bit of authority there, but primarily they're there to enforce the limits that Congress sets. And so this should be done through legislation. Now, over the years, we have a few executive programs that have created a kind of shadow legal immigration system. Um, the optional practical training program is one example. That was a program that was just created from the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and it gives it gives essentially work permits to foreign grad students. And it gives more importantly, it gives employers a, uh, a discount to hire foreign graduate students over American workers. Mm hmm. And that was never passed by Congress. That was that was uh, something that Secretary Chertoff uh, implemented during the Bush administration and the Obama administration expanded it. I have a Republican and a Democrat in studio with me now, and I think our, our Democrat, Patrick Hanley, may have a question uh, for you, and uh, we'll turn it over to Patrick. Patrick? Yeah, so, uh, Jeremy, I think we're going to come at this from a pretty different perspective. You talk about the hundred-odd million of folks that want to come to the United States, but you also know that fewer than half a million are getting in legally are getting green cards over the last four or five years. And uh, the last 10, 20 years, it's been closer to a million a year. So actually, if you think about a uh, reasonable immigration uh, projection, the, the U.S. population is only going to rise by some 30, 40 million in the next 30 years, which frankly is about what we need it to in order to support older workers and to pay taxes into our system. So uh, what, are you, what are you concerned about? What are your population projections looking like for the next 20 years? And why are you worried about immigration? Well, I think that numbers wise, we're, we're, we're pretty close on the same page in terms yeah. of in terms of what you put out there pr projection wise. Uh, we do we admit about a million people we issue about a million green cards per year and that's been the case since the 1990s uh it did dip down uh, severely in 2020 in covid we haven't seen the latest great card uh green card numbers for the past couple of years but um every indication is that that's back up to about a million a year yeah. as well we'll know that when those numbers come out um immigration does a couple of things economically um it expands the economy Yep. More people, more consumers, more people buying things. And it creates additional wealth. It creates about $50 billion a year of additional wealth. So, you know, I, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to say that this is a, a, um, a, you know, an all or nothing type of thing. But the trade-off is it also redistributes about $500 billion in wealth from wage earners to owners of capital and the investment class. And that tends to fall most heavily on less educated workers, particularly recent immigrants or second generation Americans who have less than a college degree. Um, so 
Americans may not know those statistics, but there are millions of Americans who may feel that redistribution. And that that goes to questions about people who feel that they are prioritized within their own economic system. We've got millions of we got people dropping out of the labor force right now. And immigration can be a Band-Aid to cover that up. But you're still left with these people as opposed to having a policy that encourages businesses to build those recruitment pipelines into those communities. But we also know that immigration increases wages and creates complementary jobs around the places where immigrants come in. We also know that when immigrants do compete with native-born Americans, it causes those Americans to go pursue high school educations. And frankly, when they go head to head with the only class of workers that actually lose wages on competition, that's Americans without high school diplomas. They actually only get hit by about one to 5% on their wages. So frankly, the, you know, I see a lot of positives coming out of increased immigration with dramatically outweigh the negatives. Well, it's about the National Academy of Sciences said it's about 2.5 percent, which right. sounds small. But again, that's five hundred billion dollars of wages that go mostly from people who are living paycheck to paycheck, who don't have a 401k or are heavily invested in the stock market. And it's going to people who are invested in, in the stock market. Right. I mean, it is true that if I can hire somebody to mow my lawn and and and, and take care of the landscaping or child care and things like that and get them at at affordable prices, that does enable me to have more time to pursue my interests and my other uh, my my other uh, job aspirations. Mm. But for the for the person who's running a landscaping company that creates a, that or is working in landscaping, that creates more hardship for them. And I, if I may just jump back to your your other point about the um, about the population projections. Oh, well, maybe we'll get to that after the break. Good. We got 10 seconds coming up. He heard the music. Good. Uh, Judas Schroen is also jumping at the bit to get a question in. We'll do that. 1-800-723-8029. From coast to coast and border to border, this is Bruce Dubois. We look at yours when we come back. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, 
but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. And uh, Jeremy uh, Beck joins us from uh, Washington, D.C. He is Vice President of Numbers USA. And in the studio we have... Uh, uh, joining us in the studio, we have Patrick Hanley, the Democrat, and Judith Sherwin. And Judith, you have a question for Jeremy. Yes. Um, you know, I assume that what you're you're talking about in terms of immigration is is legal immigration. We're looking for people who are going to add to the economy, who are going to add to to uh, the stature of the United States, who are going to help out, who come in with education who come in with the ability to take care of themselves. Um, what does all of this uh, do when we, we mix this up because advocates tend to do this? Uh, they don't like the idea of illegal immigration, so they refer to anybody who crosses the border as an immigrant, and, and they're not all legal immigrants. So what is your position on how to respond to the kind of uh, discussion that goes on over those issues because everybody in the world cannot come here and so the question is how do we pick how do we choose uh do we look for what is in our national interest mm. which there's no question immigration is in our natural national interest if mm. it's done in a controlled and reasonable way okay i Jeremy? think uh, i'm guessing that 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 judith you and patrick and i can all all agree as patrick raised uh, the point earlier uh, there's no way that everybody in the world can live in the united states um and not even everybody who wants to live in the united states can live in the united states and so the question really is how how many and which ones that's what the new york times editorial wrote in 1982 when immigration was you know was boiling up at, at that time mm -hmm. and at the time the new york times they were they were arguing for for less immigration they're saying that you know the the frontier is gone and you know we don't have this this huge industrial need uh, and i'm sure you know patrick may want to push back on that you know in terms of our current um situation but um i think what you're getting at a little bit is is this question of people want a kind of an easy way out and we get in these conversations where um as bruce said earlier 
people say, well, I'm against illegal immigration, but I'm for legal immigration. But again, how, how many? What are, what are the limiting principles? How do we set a policy that serves the national interest and is also humane and fair to the rest of the world, people who do want to come here? And one way we do that is to make sure that whatever limits we set, they have credibility. Uh, if you're an aspiring migrant, you, you know, you should know what it takes to get in the United States and what your chances are and what, what your odds are. And when we have and uh, when we don't, when our system lacks credibility, um, you get a situation like what we have right now at the border, where we do kind of have a mess. I mean, it's a it's a it's a big mess at the border right now, and you have lots of people giving their hard-earned money into the hands of coyotes and human smugglers mm -hmm. and risking their lives and their lives of loved ones to right. get here because they feel like there are these additional opportunities to get in and get and get released. So having whatever we set, whether we say like, hey, we want to we want to give five million green cards out a year. Or maybe we say we want to give 500,000 out a right. year. Those it, limits should have some kind of meaning. So the, the, sure. the Jeremy, question, is it? Go, go ahead, go Judith. Ahead. Go, go ahead, Judith. Right. So the question, I mean, that I have, we, we keep hearing we need immigration reform. I mean, isn't it a question of trying to uh, use the laws we have on the books? I mean, there yeah. have been uh, immigration policies set up in this country for years. I mean, it, this isn't like in the early uh, 1900s where, you know, we, we wanted to let everybody in. And, and even then there were some limits. So the question is, you know, why don't we enforce the immigration laws that we have, number one? And number two, I mean, there is a, a sort of mantra or a narrative that, that it's not nice to keep people out of the country. It's not nice to make these limits. Well, of course, it's a question of the national interest, but there's some people who don't necessarily think that this is something that should be discussed in connection with the national interest. So, I mean, how do you how do you respond to that in terms of setting immigration policy? Well, you know, again, Gallup Gallup just came out with another poll, and there's if you look at polls, Americans like immigrants, and Americans yeah. welcome immigrants. Yes, and Americans want a limited system. Now, Americans may disagree, although most polls show that uh, uh, when you when you ask people how many green cards we should we should issue per year, most of them say seven hundred and fifty thousand or less. That's more or less in line with, with our position. Um, but in, as far as uh, enforcing laws in the books, I do think what you said is right, is, is it's hard. Something we all have to deal with with immigration policy is that it's not about saying no just to the bad guys. Um, you know, every president and I'll, we're a nonpartisan organization, so I'm happy to, to pick on, on both parties here. Uh, every president says Obama and Trump basically said the same thing. They both said, I'm going to let the good ones in and I'm going to keep the bad ones out. Mm -hmm. And they had very different ideas about who to, how to do that and who fit into what categories. But that was their, that was their way. And it's just not, it's just not the case. The vast majority of people are good people who want to improve their lives. But again, we have, we bump up against these questions of, of limits now what well, two things I, if i sorry go ahead i, I want to ask the, a question about uh because of the illegal immigration uh and the caravans that have been coming from central america uh people have been specifically looking at the triangle countries down there and uh honduras and el salvador mike and and uh, guatemala my, my question to you is it, it within the political arena one of the goals, at least espoused by the uh, vice president of the United States, is that there would be some incentives given to those countries 
to clean up their act mm -hmm. so that not so many people want to flee to the United States. Mm -hmm. And of course, tied to that is some large you know, contribution, donation, uh, grant that, In that is that's, that's investment mm -hmm. that's going there to keep people there. Now, in your view, is is but that a is that people. a fair is that a fair use of U.S. tax dollars to be investing in those specifically three countries because we don't like the idea that they're rushing our borders, but we want to make it so nice in their countries that they stay home. And all of those countries are just rife with uh, corruption, gangs, and, and, and very violent uh, you know, lifestyles for people that live there. Jer Jeremy, I'm going to let you respond in just a minute, but let me correct the record really quickly. What okay. Vice President Harris announced was $1 billion in investment by private companies into that triangle to improve the economies of those countries, create jobs uh, while also building up, you know, American-owned industry. And so this was a win-win all around that I hope will improve those countries and and create stability, uh, which would reduce the reasons why folks would want to come. But can she? But can States. can she do that without the representative countries? basically usurping money that is being sent right. to corporate interests. I, in I, I would imagine a lot of that corporate investment is not going to flow uh, in places that, you know, are going to engage in bribery or stop that money from reaching oh, the people it needs to get to. I mean, that's, that's, I want, uh, I, Jeremy, go ahead. Let, we let's would want that to be true, but it's I, I definitely want that to be, I want that to be true too. I, I think two things are true. One is because the vast majority of people who may wish to live in a in a wealthy nation like the United States are not going to be able to do so. If you want to help people around the world, you need to help them where they are. And I think that investments like that can. There are obstacles, and, and, and Judith may want to speak to those, but they can improve the lives of people. You know, most people have to grow where they're planted and they have to they have to thrive where they live in, in their home countries. And so if we wanna help people in other countries, the maximum number of people, we have to help them there. If we want to stop people from entering the country illegally, we have to stop them from entering the country illegally. Right. It can, as Patrick says, it can reduce some of the pressures, but the gap between many of these countries, many of the rest of the world and our country is so large that the economic incentive to get here is so strong. And so we need something like a mandatory E-Verify where businesses have to verify that their workers are authorized to work in the United States. People are drawn here, most people, there are always bad apples, but most people are drawn here because they want to earn some money. They want to earn more money. In some cases, they want to earn more money and send it back home, but they want to, they want to come here and work. That's not a moral failing, but they're doing, it, they're doing it illegally and they're undermining those limits that we're talking about that Congress set. And we have a system right now that is an honor system where uh, somebody goes and they give their name, they put down a few numbers next to the social security number box, the employer takes this piece of paper, says that looks like a social security number, and they put it in a filing cabinet, and, and nobody ever checks it. Well, this yeah. is the 21st century, and there is a system, but it's, it's voluntary yeah. right now. So right. that's one of the reforms that I think we really need. Is that, and there's been bipartisan lip service for that, and bipartisan failure to pass it. Yeah, is that the, the, the E-Verify, you think that that's, that's, that's the false system that you're talking about? It doesn't exist or doesn't have any teeth in enforcement? No, it does exist, but it's voluntary. Okay. It, it, it exists, yeah. it, it, it works, but right now, in most, for most of the country, there are federal contractors have to use it, and there are some state-passed laws, yeah. but for most of the country, it's, it's an employer doesn't have to verify that their 
workers uh, are authorized to work in the United States. It's against the law to hire somebody who's not, but it's not against the law to not verify it. As as long as E-Verify is a volunteer program, do you think that it's a waste of time or is it just a false hope to solve a problem? Jeremy. It's going to be very difficult to solve uh, illegal immigration without without you verified work. The workplace is really the linchpin of all of this. That was Barbara Jordan, who chaired the the last bipartisan commission on immigration reform, mm-hmm. whose recommendations our recommendations are largely based on. You know, she she said that's it. That's the key. It's it's the jobs magnet. Right. And if you don't if you don't go after the employers and if you don't have credibility in the workplace, then you're not going to have a credibility at the border. I don't right. disagree That's with you, but I would also say that there's a we are currently facing a labor shortage in a lot of key industries. There's it's a lot of there's a lot of incentive, Judith. There's a lot of it. No, it's not true at all. That's not true at all. And there's a huge incentive for companies to seek out immigration, uh, as you've mentioned, Jeremy. And I think we should create temporary programs, two to three to four year worker programs that allows companies to get that labor and then also allows us to regulate that level of immigration. We've got a pause to stand by with your answer to that. We've got breaks coming up. 1-800-723-8029, coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont, back in the saddle on Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us this evening. Huh? At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking. Isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy, so we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. 
Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Bruce Dumont is back in Chicago, and Tom is listening to us in Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, Tom, uh, you've got some questions. Uh, go ahead. Back. Tom, are you there? Uh, yeah, Bruce. First yes. of all, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, I, and, and, you know, i got to say this. Um, first of all, um, at least one of my prayers has been answered in terms of, uh, you know, we, we ran a, a trio there with Rush Limbaugh and Herman Cain and Jim Bohannon, and I'm glad to see you've, you've uh, broke that curse. Thank you. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I have to imagine that. Uh, and I want to say, too, that uh, both Eric and Jeannie have done an excellent job. Yes, they did. Uh, I mentioned more than a year ago that I think you might want to consider having a three- or four-hour block of time package with your program, two hours of you and two hours of Jeannie, uh, not only from the standpoint of the feminine point of view, but she's got the military background, mm-hmm. and she certainly has the political background. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of radio stations, I'm, I'm a radio junkie. I stopped watching television more than seven years ago. Uh-huh. And, and what I'm getting at is most radio stations, especially on the weekends, run in four-hour blocks or three-hour blocks. Yes. So, so you would be able to pick up, you know, more station coverage that way if you were able to do that. Anyway, as far as getting, and you might want to consider that. Thanks for the uh, advice. It, Appreciate it. Uh, as, as far as the uh, topic of immigration is concerned, I'm against it. I think we have even have possibly a moratorium for a while. We, we you know, I hear your, your guests talking about the economic aspects. We've got a big social and cultural problem. The, the people coming in this country are not assimilating. I, I just looked at my Medicare handbook. In, in the back of it, it offers Medicare in 16 different languages. My phone bill pointed out not too long ago that they, they offer, AT&T offers at least 15 languages and a special number if it's not one of those languages that you're concerned about for other languages. Uh, that is a major problem. We're going to be looking more like Europe than Europe in terms of sectors where people are doing their own thing of diversity and not assimilation. That's point one. Point two, the issue First of... First of all, on, uh, on point one, let Patrick Hanley respond <laughs> uh, to point number one, and also I want to get Jeremy's response, and then we'll go to point two, and then Judith Sherwin's got a comment as well. Go ahead. Tom, I'm sorry, but everything, that I've, everything that I've read tells me, and, and the studies that have been done recently show that uh, immigrants and immigrant children today assimilate just as well as they always have in American history. And that the kids of American immigrants often learn English, go to American schools, think of themselves as American hyphenated whatever, but Americans before terribly long. So I, I don't think that assimilation is a problem in this country at all. And, and you know, it, being inclusive with the number of languages that we put on corporate documents, I think is only a good thing. It doesn't hurt any of us. Can I respond to that? Absolutely. And then I want to hear uh, Jeremy, and then Judith. The, 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 the 
schools are are being forced to teach people from 16 or 17 or 20 different languages English. And, and secondly, I, 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 mentioned, I, I listen to broadcast radio. There are more and more stations that are carrying different languages full-time, not just on Sunday mornings. The, the other points I want to make just real quick, and then I'll, then I'll listen to your guests. Uh, the, the issue of uh, younger people paying for older people, mm-hmm. all you have to do there for Social Security is take the cap off of Social Security. The third point I want to make is that as far as needing uh, people to work to, for, to provide for jobs, robotics and artificial intelligence in the next 15 to 20 years, if not sooner, are going to have a huge impact on all the jobs that we have going right now. And and trying to find jobs for people is going to be very difficult at that point when you're competing with a machine that doesn't require a vacation time, call in sick, need hospitalization, uh, go on strike, and all the rest of it. The people do. And if you don't mind, Bruce, unless you want me to stay on, I'll hang up and listen off the, uh, from the uh, phone. Again, stay, no, stay on the line, but I want to go to Jeremy and then Judith. Okay. Jeremy, you want to respond first? I would love to. Thanks, Tom. Those are uh, three great questions. Uh, on the assimilation front, uh, you know, first of all, I agree with Patrick that uh, – that the people who are immigrating today are just as capable of assimilating as people who immigrated 100 years ago. Now, I will add, though, that we we think back about the great wave of immigration, and a lot of people said a lot of the same things, that these people aren't assimilating, uh, you know, they, they, can go, they can go a lifetime without learning English, and that just that puts a barrier between them and the country that they are adopting. They did assimilate. However, they largely assimilated because the numbers did come down, and that encouraged that, that that really encouraged economic assimilation as well as social integration. Now, on the on the uh, on the labor side of things, uh, I want to answer Tom. You brought up a, a great point about uh, needing ever more younger workers to uh, to take care of ever more older workers. Uh, as David Attenborough said, that is an ecological Ponzi scheme. Uh, you know, eventually, you know, you have to you. Uh, the entire world is aging. We are living longer and our death rates are going down. That, that's a good thing. But we're going to have to, to live with that pyramid getting a little bit older. And we can, we can do far more by changing the Social Security or retirement age uh, or you know, dealing with automation and, and mechanization than, um, than, than creating this idea, which is really a, it's really a false idea that we, can all, we will always have more people coming in to take care of eventually uh, you know, we run we run out of uh, uh, football field worth of nature every 30 seconds, and um, and most of that is due to is is just due to humans needing space. We need foot. Each person has an ecological footprint in America of 15 football fields. So there is again, we're bumping up against a question of limits. And as far as labor shortages, uh, uh, Jason Furman, who is on Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, just tweeted a couple days ago that. Real wages in every industry is down today versus before the pandemic, except for retail, leisure and hospitalities. Those are not high wage industries. Those workers are not seeing explosive wage growth rates that are, are making their lives demonstrably better. When we see real real labor shortages, we see something like petroleum engineers shortage from a couple from about 15 years ago or so. Those wages really did go through the roof. And it, they didn't last long because people started going into those fields and then we, we filled them. Guest worker programs are are very seductive because in theory, I agree with Patrick that in theory, we, we need guest worker programs to fill short term labor gaps. In reality, there's nothing more permanent than a guest worker program. And they ultimately and we see this over and over again. They are systems that um, that 
bypass domestic workforces for more exploitable foreign workers. Uh, Judith Sherwin's been standing by patiently. Right. Well, and and Jeremy just made the point that I was going to make about the the foreign worker, guest worker uh, visas. They end up being um, a very difficult situation for the country that establishes them. Um, and, and they become a permanent feature of, of the economic market, and they end up hurting the workers at a certain level, not at all levels, but at a certain level in the countries where they are. Uh, and they also have their problems assimilating in the country, all right, because they see themselves as temporary people. You, this, is, this is one of the situations that started out in places like Sweden, where they had a lot of temporary workers, and they see themselves as temporary. They see themselves as something other than the local population. They don't want to assimilate, and there's a lot of difficulties in a society. I mean, our society is not as, as homogeneous as, as Sweden, but I think you would be introducing an element into the country um, that would not be very helpful for our situation, and to some degree, you're introducing that element by the illegal immigration. And so I think there's a couple of things we have to do. We have to stop talking about illegal immigration as, as a legitimate form of litigation or conflating it with legal immigration. And we need to take a look at what our policy should be with respect to legal immigration and with respect to gaps in the workforce we don't necessarily have to bring in foreign workers to take care of the gaps that we may have. That, and, and the single best policy that we have to reduce illegal immigration is to create those temporary visa programs, create pathways to legal immigration so folks can come in, do work, pay taxes, and leave and go back to the home countries they want to live in. Yeah, but they, they don't do that. Okay? They are, they that is often not do. happening, not even close show to me, happening. Show me any evidence. It, 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 it doesn't. Re- it doesn't. Evidence for what you're it, talking it doesn't about. reduce. It, does it doesn't reduce happen. illegal immigration. It no. does actually. No, it, it really does, does not. It does not. It encourages illegal immigration. Just look at our border, for God's sake. Jeremy. Well, I think you know this. It, Father Hesborough and the Hesborough Commission, um, when when they studied that, that was the bipartisan commission before the Jordan Commission. I mean, they said of guest workers, it's very seductive. It's very attractive. They studied it for years. They said it's just. It's just not a good idea. It always leads to exploitation. And and as far as reducing illegal immigration, illegal immigration uh, has has gone up during times of high legal immigration. It just does not stop it. In part because it's about networks. People come here because they have they have networks. That's part of it. They they want they want a job. They hear that somebody's working. Also, guest workers. It's the same thing. Like I said, half a million people overstay their visas every year. They're supposed to go home and they don't go home and they stay illegally. So it, that is part of illegal immigration, these visa overstays, which is a massive part. Until the last couple of years, it was the majority of illegal immigration. That's one of the things that I think the public probably they assume that illegal immigration is all about people coming over the yep. southern border. But no. no, it's people from coming all over the world. They come here on guest worker on work visas or on tourist visas and they just they don't go home. home. Right. Where is where is the legislation on E-Verify uh, being mandatory as opposed to voluntary? Because you said you think that's the absolute first place to start. And I'm wondering how far are we away from a, a, a bona fide piece of legislation that would make it through Congress and be signed by a president? Probably not this president, but, but a president. 
There are bills in the Senate and in the House. It's S-156 in the Senate. Uh, that's the Accountability Through Electronic Verification Act. And in the House, it's H.R. 319. That's the Legal Workforce Act. The one in the House has some bipartisan support, so we're very hopeful about that. Like I said, E-Verify has had decades of bipartisan lip service and decades of bipartisan Jer failure to pass it. Jeremy, but I please, appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Do me a favor. We're out of time. Give us your email or how people can reach you if they want to do so. Uh, well, they can reach us at numbersusa.com. If you go to the help form and send something, I'm, uh, I can, it will get back to me. Very good. Numbersusa.com. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much, Jeremy, for being with us. Another segment coming up from Chicago. All right. Huh? At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Why was the basketball court all wet? Who's that? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Who doesn't belong here. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Good luck. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, <laughs> the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. In some ways, I think it's symbolic.
Belmont back. We continue with our final segment of Beyond the Beltway. And I hear... I've been away on uh, on a health hiatus, and uh, having gone to the heart doctor and the respiratory doctor and the uh, kidney doctor and the um, I don't know every doc- foot doctor, I've been to them all, <laughs> and uh, I'm all here tonight and feeling much better. And again, uh, uh, it was an opportunity uh, to uh, to listen to the program for 15 weeks, which I enjoyed. On occasion, I was throwing things at the radio or TV uh, because I wanted to jump in, but I didn't want to take anything away from Jeannie uh, or Eric who were hosting at the time. But again, uh, it's good to be back uh, with you, and uh, it's my plan, uh, Lord willing, to be with you for uh, a long, long time. And again, uh, uh, thank the the doctors at Northwestern Memorial Hospital and all the new medications, all the new medications. (laughs) People love me at Walgreens. I'm on a first-name basis with everybody when I walk in there. And uh, they say that I'm I'm back in the saddle, so it's nice to be here uh, with you this evening. And also, I want to mention that uh, uh, throughout the past 15 weeks, uh, our longtime director and producer Fritz Goldman has been here every single Sunday night, and uh, he's done a terrific job as he always does. Uh, and he's getting a big round of applause silently from our guests in the studio. Uh, one thing we should mention, by the way, and uh, as you know, we we try not to talk too much about what's happening uh, in the city of Chicago unless it's on the news and so much of what's been happening in the city of Chicago insofar as violence is concerned has been on the news. And again, uh, uh, those of you watch Fox News, they've made uh, uh, our uh, mayor of uh, Lori Lightfoot almost a household name. And uh, she is going to face the polls a week from Tuesday on the 28th. And there's uh, nine people running against her and uh, uh, she or eight people running against her. And uh, she will, uh, I, I frankly... I'm not so sure she's going to make a runoff, but I want to get reaction from uh, Judith. You live in the city. Patrick does not. But right. what's your what's your assessment? If you want to make an endorsement, you can do so. But what's your assessment? <laughs> what's your assessment of what's happening in the city and how the city has changed in the last four years since Lori Lightfoot uh, was uh, uh, victorious in a very surprise upset four years ago? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, Lori Lightfoot, election she she was elected really with a minority of the voting public mm-hmm. i mean when she won the the democrat well she she was also in a runoff so when she won the first election i believe she got like 16,000 votes and that propelled her into the runoff which she had with uh, tony preckwinkle and then she won mm-hmm. she won right. every she single won Ward right. in every single precinct except the precinct of those the woman running against her. That's correct. Right. That's correct. So I mean that was that was the biggest landslide ever in Chicago history. That's, That's exactly back. right. And I I think you know people had hope that that this was going to be a great new beginning, and unfortunately um, it has not been a great new beginning. It's it's been something of a disaster. The city, if you if you drive around downtown. There are empty buildings, there's empty storefronts, lots of empty storefronts. I I had the opportunity of driving down Wabash Avenue the other day. I was totally amazed at what I saw. Um, The the city, the downtown area, in some places, almost looks abandoned. It is scary to go downtown. It is scary to go out at night. It is scary to do a lot of things. And I'm not just 
we've always had an element in the city um, where the south and west sides were a problem. What you have now is that whatever was going on there is now going on in the rest of the city as well. Um, it should have been taken care of all these many years when it was on the south and west side. But what, what, seemed to care. literally, what can, what, can a, what, what, what can a mayor do? Because we should mention, by, well, the, by the way, the other thing I would say is that, and again, I'm, I'm a you know, big time watcher of Fox News, but I would say that I think Fox News has really bent over backwards well, to, yeah. to really to agree. diminish Lori Lightfoot. And I think much of it, not all of it, much of it has been uh, piling on. It's not okay. It's I, not been fair. I would uh, agree that it's, it's not necessarily fair. However, yeah. what can a mayor do? Well, the one thing a mayor could do is hire a good police chief. And I think David Brown was a very good police chief when he was in Dallas. Hire a good police chief and let him be a police chief, which he has not let him do. I think one of the things the mayor could do would not be to to um, bring down edicts on the police department about not being able to chase criminals down the street. Mm-hmm. I think there's a number of things that could be done to show some support for law enforcement in the city, which is not being done. Mm-hmm. I think she came close, I must say, when she started criticizing Kim Fox. All right. For those of State's you who attorney don't of Cook know, County. She's the state's attorney of Cook County. George she's, Soros. She's prod- one of prodigy. the George Soros children. Prodigies. Prodigies. <laughs> and she's a catastrophe for, for criminal justice. I want to I mean, let uh, a, Patrick Hanley weigh in here. Patrick does not live in the city of Chicago. Yeah, but, but again, I do. But you do, so you can vote. I think we know true. I think we know where you might vote yeah. uh, or who you're not going to vote for. But, Patrick, uh, you, you don't vote in the city of Chicago. But, again, obviously, uh, you are a recipient of the news and the feelings sure. of, of what happens because uh, your area is, is close to Chicago. Yeah. So what, 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 what's your take on Lori Lightfoot and whether or not she is likely to be reelected or not? We've got about a minute left. Yeah. And, and, and let me just say, uh, I think Lori came in with limited name ID in Chicago when she did win her races. She ran a very successful persuasive campaign her first time around. Mm-hmm. She did win every almost every ward in that election. I think the city of Chicago has gotten to know her and her management style, which is very abrasive. Uh, and they don't love it. And, and let me just take this opportunity to say this this would be a great chance for the city of Chicago to do something like ranked choice voting. Uh, as Judy, Judith mentioned, uh, Lori Lightfoot did win with a very low turnout, both the first time to get her to that runoff, and then in the runoff, turnout turnout fell again. Uh, And so very few Chicagoans are deciding who the mayor is under a different voting system, like ranked choice voting. uh, You can get a lot more folks weighing in on their preferences of who they'd like to be the mayor. But it's not going to happen a week from Tuesday. (laughs) We will be back uh, next Sunday night. Uh, if you're a fan of Chris Peronis and Dan Johnson, they have been frequent guests on this program in the past. Always combative. They were college uh, uh, friends, and uh, they are on the opposite sides of uh, the political aisle. They will make great guests next Sunday night. Judith Sherwin and Patrick Hanley have joined us this week. Our thanks also to Chris Coleman for his assistance. In the production of the program. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24 hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone, you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.